All right. Um, we have some people in here, so we can we can formally get started. Um, yep. For those who are just joining us for the first time, um, my name is Jake Fisher. I'm an MBA reporter at Bleacher Report. Uh, pleased to be joined today by the great Sarah Todd of the Desert News, Utah Jazz beat writer, formerly of the Philadelphia Inquirer, correct? That was your last spot? Yeah, that was it. And uh, does a great job covering the jazz and does a great job staying out uh, way past everyone's bedtimes during All-Star Weekend. So, <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for uh, hopping on board here. I appreciate the time and uh, I'm excited to talk and to catch up in a, in a public forum. Yeah, I, I mean, the staying out past past everyone else's bedtime, that's not, a, that's not an All-Star quirk. That's just that's just the way I live my life. It's a lifestyle, baby. <laughs> That's kind of how you have to get through living on the road and being in a different city every night as a beat writer. I feel like you need to experience every drop that the city has to offer. Yeah, there, and I mean, even if you don't want to experience every drop, like you know, when you when you finish a game and the interviews and you're done writing for the night at about like twelve thirty to one, and you're always eating in like divey bars because they're the only thing that's open, you're you're forced to experience every drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, where um, will you, will you be in Dallas for Game One? I would I would assume you'll be right. Yeah, I'm actually uh, flying to Dallas tonight. <laughs> there you go. What I mean, aside from the Luca injury and all that type of stuff, and before we get into kind of like the existential questions facing the Jazz, like what kind of is your pre-Game One notebook like agenda of things you're curious to unfold and unpack as, as that game gets closer, as it tips off. Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of rotational things with the Jazz that I'm really interested to see what happens, you know, when, when the first substitutions are made in game one. Um, I think I think there's a question of whether or not Daniel House could be starting over Royce O'Neal, like supplant him in the starting lineup. That... I don't expect that to happen in game one, but like that's a possibility maybe down the road in the playoffs, depending on how Royce performs, how Daniel performs. Um, and then also whether or not Quinn Snyder is going to use Rudy Gay, Juancho Hernan Gomez or both, because we've got a couple DMP CDs of Rudy Gay in the, at the latter part of the regular season. Uh, and Wancho has played great for them. And so it's really interesting that, the two guys that they kind of accidentally got later in the season are two that are like, I'm looking at them really critically as we're heading into the first playoff series. I mean, Daniel house was on a 10 day, a hardship, like a COVID hardship 10 day with the jazz before he signed for the regular season. And then Wancho, it seemed like that was kind of just a throw in at the trade deadline when they were moving off the Joe Ingles contract. And so then th now those are two guys that are pretty critical to this rotation right now. I mean, Daniel House is someone I've always really liked. I remember back when he was at Texas A&M um, playing alongside Lakers' favorite Alex Caruso. Um, I remember there was a, a boutique agent friend of mine that I was saying at the time, like, I think you should try to sign this guy. Like, he, I think he's that good. Um and I was surprised. I mean, he's kind of really only had most of his success in Houston, um, both pre and post uh, the James Harden era. And, um, I mean, 
he was a pretty integral piece of their team back in the bubble when I forget exactly what he did to be sent home, but like losing him was considered to be a pretty devastating loss back in 2020. Um, I remember when like it was in the pre-deadline uh, wins that he was going to be available. Like I was surprised he didn't get traded, Like, but they, they just had to cut him basically. And the Jazz got him for free. Like, I thought that was a massive win for a team that's obviously – been struggling uh, on the perimeter defensively for a couple years now. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought the same thing. I've always liked Daniel House, and um, I was really, really high on him when the Jazz got him on a 10-day because I was like, listen, this guy is is way better than, like, anything that the the Rockets have been selling for the last, you know, 18 months or whatever because, and I, I believe this about a, a lot of players in the league that when you when you play with good players it makes like fringe players even better (laughs) yes I feel like that's not that's not rocket science or like breaking news right and like when you are surrounded by like a bunch of developing players or like G League call-ups or players that just aren't that good the product is not that good and so I think that Daniel House's stock started to fall after you know, after the Harden era in Houston, by no fault of his own, like he's still a good player. And I, that's what I thought when the Jazz picked him up, I was like, oh, this guy still has a ton to give. And it was clear, I mean, just in his early days on the 10 day with the Jazz, like he picks up things really quick and he's a guy who like slips screens really easily and, uh, you know, fights over under depending on the matchup. And it's just, it's hard to screen a guy like Daniel House, which I think is something that coaches really, appreciate about a defender and so uh, I just I love watching him play he's he's really gritty he fights on the floor and it's a that's that's my kind of player yeah I think um you know that's kind of a good segue into the existential questions if you will of where this franchise is at because finding and locating and keeping two-way wings has been one of the biggest challenges that the front office has been tasked with since this Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell pairing came to be. Um, and, I mean, different teams seem to struggle with that to different degrees where, you know, I'm watching the Pelicans game last night and I mean, they just have so many long two-way young guys, six eight, six nine wings that – Really, I mean, Herb Jones undrafted. Uh, Najee Marshall, I don't believe, was a first-rounder. I, I, for the life of me, I'm, I apologize, can't uh, recall if he did get picked. Trey Murphy was down in the 20s. Like, I think um, it's just something that has plagued Utah, and I don't really know why. Like, is, do you, like I mean, the Charlotte Hornets that I wrote about yesterday, we saw them lose last night. One of their big gaping holes in the roster has been the center position. That they just apparently it's pretty clear they haven't really been too keen on wanting to pay to address that need. I mean, obviously, the Jazz went out and got Bogdanovich when they did. They made the deal for Mike Conley. Those were kind of their two big swing, you know, additions to the the, the core that they drafted. Um, but I, I, I'm just curious to me they haven't really been able to find those guys. And you, know, you mentioned Rudy Gay earlier. Like I remember he was someone that the coaching staff was pretty excited about in entering this season as like a piece that would give them some optionality, but probably 
um, they, they, that might have been like an overreaction or like an overcorrection to trying to find someone who could play a small ball five when Gobert was kind of uh, neutralized in postseason matchups. I, I wonder if that spot they are regretting having chosen a bigger player, a bigger forward like Rudy than someone more switchable on the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, haven't they been able oh. – First, I should probably. I'm. I'm gonna correct you. I'm gonna well, actually, you. Um, Do it. Uh, Herb Jones was drafted. He's 35th he overall. Was drafted. Okay. Apologies. And one, um, of those, one of the guys in their roster was undrafted. That was. I mean, even so, that like Herb Jones is someone that I mentioned like in my pre-draft coverage as a guy that he he was like my favorite player in the draft. And someone that I thought that the Jazz should be targeting. And so I, like, personally feel, like, validated by Herb Jones. (laughs) Because he's exactly the kind of guy that they need, right? Like, um, he's, you know, there's shades of Daniel House in his game. And the fact that he's, what, 20, 22, 23 years old and is just going to get better, I He's so great. If the Jazz had Herb Jones, there'd be a, a lot of people that are more happy about maybe the future of the team. Why haven't the Jazz been able to kind of fill that role? I think a, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, the Jazz aren't going to be the team that gets the free agents. Like, they have to draft guys or get guys through the trade because, like, people just aren't signing up to come to Utah, right? And so you've got to draft a guy like Herb Jones. You've got to get a guy like Daniel House uh, as a free agent, like who's, you know, void of an NBA team who's calling him up. Or you've got to get a guy like Juancho Hernan Gomez in a trade or even Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I think uh, they're sort of hoping could have been one of those players that could be like a rangy perimeter defender. And while Nikhil definitely has some of those skills. He's a little bit more raw and green than some of the other guys that we might be talking about. And I think, you know, there's just been, there's been some feelings, right? Like you're, you're exactly right about the Rudy Gay thing where, you know, we were sold a bill of goods that he was going to provide some length and some defensive versatility and, but they haven't really used him in that way. And he hasn't really been as impressive as maybe they would have hoped on this roster. And so there's misses there. There's misses when you talk about drafting Yudoka Azubuke and yeah. instead of getting a guy like, I mean, the, the one that is widely brought up is Desmond Bain. And that's not like a long rangey guy, but he is like a knockdown shooter and plays pretty good defense for someone so young. So he could have definitely helped. And so there's misses. And then there's also the fact that like, they have to get their players from like within the NBA mechanism rather than without yeah. uh, just by going and like kind of recruiting guys. And the Azabuki pick is one that um, I think it's been cited and reported several outlets. I mean, that's definitely something I've heard that like that was a pretty dividing factor between Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder as well. Right. Um, I, I know Quinn has been sensitive in the past to the notion that he was the one who got Dennis fired. So I want to be clear in stating that I don't believe that was the case. I believe that, I mean, it it was kind of like a rift that was growing there from the get-go and that whoever was making the call ultimately chose Quinn. Um, And I think also Dennis had general interest in 
a new start as ironically we're starting to hear the rumblings of that with Quinn as well. Um, so that kind of brings me to that next existential question, if you will, being that I mean, Mark Stein was the first to report all the speculation and questions around Quinn's future. I, I know he's taken it a little personally um, and came out and, and spoke directly um, with Andy about how it's inappropriate to be having these conversations now, but it just can, it, the, the the noise doesn't go away. People are openly talking in the league about which jobs he would prefer, the Lakers or the Spurs gig. So I don't know. With, with with all that being said, like when did when did you first start to hear those rumblings? What do you make of them, and where do you think they're starting to originate from? Yeah, I think I think the important part about this is that. Um, and I think that you mentioned this in a tweet earlier today is that when you're talking to other people around the league, there's interest in Quinn Snyder. And I think that's the, like, that's the lens that we should be viewing it from is it's not like we're hearing from Quinn Snyder that he has interest in leaving. We're hearing that there's interest in Quinn Snyder. Right. And that feels like a really normal thing to me. Like, for a guy who's, you know, been coaching a team for as long as he has, he's like well tenured with the Jazz. And when you look at where the Jazz are and the fact that like they're kind of at this precipice of maybe they might start moving in a new direction, like it really depends on what happens in the playoffs. Like these are the moments when it like is very normal for a coach to either move on or double down, right? And so the fact that there's other teams in the league that are looking at a guy like Quinn Snyder, who has been really good in developing players and like internally getting things out of guys and uh, keeping guys engaged over a long period of time. Like those are, those are coaches that franchises are really interested in. So it does not surprise me at all that teams are interested in Quinn Snyder. What interests me is kind of, because like you said, like, Quinn, he did address it, but he addressed it by not addressing it, right? Yeah. He, he said, I'm not going to talk about this. <laughs> and what interests me then is to try and think about like what I know about Quinn and what I think that he would want, which is completely speculative, but that's kind of my job. Yeah, and that's why you're on the show. Yeah. yeah. And so like, it is very hard for me to imagine Quinn Snyder, uh, coaching a team like the Lakers because he's the most fiercely private coach that I've ever covered in the league. I mean, it is really hard to get him to talk about himself. Even I tried to get him to tell me what he was going to do to kind of let loose during the all-star break. And like, it got to the point where I was like, all right, do you golf? Do you like to swim? Like I was like tossing out things and he just like, was ignoring every question. Like he doesn't like to talk about himself and so for a guy that's that private, I can't imagine him being in an L.A. market covering the Lakers with, like, if LeBron is there or, like, other big stars. Like, it just seems like a situation that I can't imagine him in. Um, yeah, that sentiment's been echoed by pretty much everyone I've spoken with around the NBA who's worked with him past and presently. Um not just the LeBron of it all, but the LA of it all and the Lakers hype machine. Yeah. 
I mean, he's, he's described as someone who really likes to run a tight ship, and that is the, 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 the leakiest ship out there. Right, exactly. And then so the the next one that we hear about is the Spurs. And um, I mean, it, it, from every people around the league that I've talked to, like there's a lot of hesitation from coaches around the league to be willing to even consider like being the guy that replaces pop. Right. Because like that's, those are lofty shoes, right? Those are really, really big shoes to fill. And so maybe, you know, two or three coaches removed from pop that might become an interesting job but the guy who replaces pop or or the the woman who replaces pop the person that replaces pop right that that's a that's a job that not a lot of people are incredibly interested in now that being said you talk about like quinn liking to run a tight ship well so did the spurs you know like that that's an organization that has prided themselves on keeping things internal and not letting things get too out of hand. And so uh, that would be appealing. And then I think what would Quinn like as far as where the team is in a development process? Like he went through basically a rebuild with the jazz. Would he want to kind of be at the front end of that sort of a rebuild? I mean, I don't think the, the Spurs are rebuilding, but it's not like they're a ready to win now team. Like there's going to have to be like years of work put in with a team like that. And so I, I just don't know exactly what Quinn would want as far as the state of the team. And so it, it's an interesting idea the Spurs, but we also don't know, like pop might not leave for another five years. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's very possible. I, I think that that is something that, I'm under the understanding is an intriguing opportunity um, to him and to a lot of people who have Spurs ties. Like for a non-Spurs person, like for Jay Wright, who's always been kind of like a rumored name there, or Bill Self to come in. Like, I mean, those guys I think would be, Bill Self probably more than Jay Wright, I think would probably be pretty content in – you know, the payday and, and, and the leap and knowing that they'd have a future for themselves outside uh, or after that position in college basketball somewhere else, if that's what they wanted. Before, you know, uh, your run-of-the-mill, I'm trying to be respectful here, for, for, for your average NBA coach who isn't, you know, someone like Will Hardy who mm-hmm. learned under Pop or Quinn or – Brett Brown, who was as integral to that development program there as anybody, like those types of people, I think want that job. But, but anyone outside the Spurs gig, I, I think, or the Spurs realm, I think, looks at that a little bit intimidatingly. Um, but I think the ultimate thing, also stemming all this Quinn conversation, is you know I, I talked about it with Mitch Kupchak and Charlie yesterday. Um, you know, for everything I've heard, his original contract is coming to a close this season, and and um, he hasn't found an extension yet. Um, I believe there's been efforts from the Jazz to extend Quinn, and those have been futile. Um, so that could, you know, suggest he's just not ready to think about it, or that there's possibilities of him potentially looking to go to another situation. And like you said, I mean, he's going to, 
if and when Quinn Snyder ever became a, a quote unquote free agent, I think he'd be the foremost, you know, candidate available around the league. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's going to be a, a lot of, I mean, there's always coaching turnover every season there, you know, anywhere between five and 10 usually is what it seems like it is. And the, I think every team that would have an availability would be looking at Quinn Snyder if he was available. Uh, that being said, I think uh, you know as well as everyone else does that if, if there's no extension, uh, you know, that has been reached right now, I think that the, you know, the biggest thing that would lead to a decision is what happens in the next few weeks, right? Like everything hinges on that. If the jazz make a run to the Western conference finals, like I, it would be very easy for me to believe that maybe Quinn Snyder would want to stay and see if another year would do it. Right. But that's the thing that's like the, the bazillion dollar question. How, what is it? The Western conference finals? What is, is that the ultimate place they have to get to? Is it just getting out of the second round? I mean, I think that's that's the biggest thing that would like define success or failure for this Jazz team this year. That's the way that that's the way I see it, and I think that's the way a lot of others, uh, like within the organization and without, would see it. Also, the f- first or second round when they have their team healthy, because like right now they're going into the playoffs relatively healthy for the first time in a few years, and so like there aren't really any excuses this time, right? Like you you have the Ricky Rubio injury a few years ago, then being in the bubble without Bogdanovich and Mike Conley leaving. Yeah, I forgot about Rubio's tenure there. Right. And then, uh, and then last season with Donovan and Mike Conley's injuries. And so like, there's, there's always been like kind of a little bit of an excuse that they can lean on that. Like, Oh, if we had that guy, then maybe it would have been different. And this time, uh, and that's the way I saw it before this season even started was like, all right, well, regular season honestly doesn't matter once they get to the playoffs one are they healthy and if they are now we get to finally make like you know we can evaluate the team in a way that we really haven't in the last three four or five years and so i think the first or second round is going to be a failure because they were able to reach that with injury if they make it past the second round i see that as moderate success and so they get to the western conference finals obvious success would be beyond that but i mean is western conference finals enough to kind of keep the team intact for another year that's the thing like the reason why the nba to me is so interesting being that the end goal and and the team building function of the nba not just the league itself like like the the nitty-gritty the competition to round out a roster and compete for a championship. The reason why it's so fascinating to me is that obviously only one team can do it every single year. And there are going to be many reasons that many teams don't do it that are out of their control. But ultimately th- that one goal is everything. That That is what defines all the, all, all the success at, at the end of the day for players and coaches and agents um, and uh, coaches as well. So I, I, I'm i just, me personally, it's just interesting feeling that it's kind of like this gray area. Like I remember back, were you covering Philly during Brett Brown's last year? Yeah. So I mean, remember how there was like a clear sign of like, it's finals or nothing. Like, because right. the year before, 
he was on the hot seat, and they, they lost in Game Seven to Toronto. Could have been the like the conference finals was four bounces away, so that they, they saved Brett Brown. He was fine, but the next year it was okay. Still, finals are bust, and they didn't make it out of the first round, and he was gone. So, the fact that Utah is in such a place where everyone in the league is wondering about, will Donovan request a trade if they don't make it? You know, if they don't have success. Will I look to move Rudy Gobert? Will Quinn walk away? What will Danny Ainge now running this front office decide to do? The fact that everyone's asking these questions and everyone's so attuned to it, but there is no real clear benchmark. Not to say that there has to be, because that would be kind of ridiculous to, to draw a line in the sand and say every franchise needs to have like this clear goal, and if you don't make it, then people's heads roll. But typically that's how this works in the league. And it's just interesting to me that, that it's such a prevalent situation one that a lot of people are talking about, and it's still kind of just a shrug, like, we'll see what happens, and then and then see what happens. That's very interesting to me. Yeah, it's also interesting to think about it in relation to, like, what happened in Philly, too. The first thing that comes to my – I wasn't there. I was in Utah for Brett Brown's last season. I was there for the, the Toronto exit, and – I mean, I remember that night in Toronto, it feeling like Brett Brown was, like, saying goodbye to everyone. Like, everyone thought that he was gone. I think a big difference maker, though, was the very next day in uh, during the exit interviews, like, we were asking, like, incredibly pointed questions to the players, like, the players that mattered. Like, basically, like, do you want Brett Brown here? And I think that that's something that maybe hasn't been addressed with the jazz yet and might be addressed in the same exact way. Like during exit interviews, like do the players believe that they can get it done with, with Quinn. And I think, cause right now, like the conversation is like, you know, does Quinn want to go somewhere else? Does the front office want to keep Quinn? But like a huge part of it is like, if the players are going to advocate for keeping him, like that might, that might be a deciding factor. Yeah, that's been one of the more um, – I keep saying interesting. I can't think of a different word right now. <laughs> so bear with me, people who are annoyed by the echo. But it's been the most interesting aspect to me of Chris Finch's success in, in Minnesota being that I mean, the players there just seem to love that guy. And it's it's different in, in, this, in this NBA we're in now where a lot of people use their press conference availability to, to send – particular messages both publicly and to people behind the scenes it's always of note to me when players take the opportunity to praise their coach being that a lot of players like to change the coach out pretty willy-nilly depending on certain things and um chris finch has done a job there that has these guys going you know going to bat for him left and right and now he's got an extension he seems to be pretty entrenched atop Minnesota. Um, you know, I remember to the to the contrary in Indiana last year, the players began the season absolutely just raving about Nate Bjorkman. And then as the season started to take a turn, the, the positive comments and even, you know, they disappeared and even some, some, some eye rolling and some like, you know, passing shots were starting to be taken by players. So um, I don't know. I wonder I wonder if Quinn's giant rant that he went on that a couple of days ago, a couple a week ago, whatever so it was about Rudy and Donovan. Um, like, I wonder if that was in part to kind of 
show to do the opposite you know to kind of show them like this is what i'm going to do for you like wondering if they'll do the same for him when the time does come yeah i mean it felt a little bit like it it felt like in the moment when during that rant it i wasn't really interested in like the content of what (laughs) saying (laughs) i was more nonverbal communication yeah i was more interested in the fact that like it seemed I said this at the time. It's it was like the same thing as like a a coach like screaming at a ref and getting a technical, even though like it's not really a moment when he would need to, right? But it, he's mm-hmm. just doing it so that he can show that he's backing up his guy. Like that's that's what it felt like when he went on the rant. It's just like him stepping up and defending his guys, and whether that was for I don't I don't know if that's you know to motivate them just before the playoffs start to like show them that they're in this together right now or to signal that for the future. (laughs) Like you said, there's a lot of shrugs right now. Like, I don't know. I guess we'll see. (laughs) I mean, or maybe it's to portray that he's locked in and defending this group, even though he's thinking about the next move. (laughs) Or maybe we can take it even further. Like, Maybe that's a signal to future employers about the kind, like how yeah. how much he'll stand by his guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what what do you make of Rudy and Donovan's pairing, and, and not on the court because that's I think obvious. We're, we're, we're coming to you for your your boots on the ground uh, intel here. I mean, the the way. Like there's these guys are always so willing to talk about how they need to talk about things, how they need to fix things, how they need to have this player meeting and blah blah blah, and we need to have kind of a kumbaya moment here and come together and stop complaining and stop talking to the press and all this stuff. Like they address the elephant in the room by saying there is no elephant in the room all the time, or by saying that it's not an elephant, but it's something that we need to like. They're, they're just always, you know, I got like I remember when. David Griffin came out during media day and said, um, and announced Zion's injury and said, we've been aware of this for so long. I know you guys are just finding out about this now. You know, to me, it's like, all right, well, now I'm thinking you weren't aware of this all along, regardless of what I've been hearing behind the scenes. Because um, no one asked you if you didn't know about it for a while, but you just right. kind of offered it up. So and maybe that was anticipating the question coming like when did you guys find out about this because it was kind of like a drop so I, I don't know all i'm saying is like when when donovan goes on the podcast with chris haynes um and tries to you know silence all the chatter about how him and rudy don't necessarily get along like he didn't wrap rudy in a big bear hug and, and literally say there's no, nothing to see here we're boys like this is my guy we're going to compete for a championship together he does the classic, you know, you don't have to be best friends to be good coworkers and all that type of, you know, themology that I always find to be hilarious when you're trying to defend how close you are with somebody. So I don't know. what What is your make of where these guys stand right now heading into the postseason? I mean, I, I don't think that Donovan and Rudy have ever tried to hide the fact that they're not besties. Like, because, like, what I see from, like, being around them all the time is that, and, like, talking to them about this kind of stuff a lot, is that, like, 
when he goes on, when Donovan goes on that podcast with Chris, that, when that happened, all of like the reporters that the beat reporters for the jazz, we were kind of like, yeah, we know we've talked about this. Like it seemed like that, that came out as like big news, but it was because it happened on a national stage. Right. Yeah. And so all of us were like, yeah, nothing new was said. Well, clearly that was a, that was not to, uh, not to point or poke holes in anyone else's reporting, but that seemed pretty um, orchestrated in terms of we're going to have this podcast to address this rumor because I want to say this on a national level. Right. And that's exactly the point is that like, you know, no matter how much like the beat reporters will you know, report on these things and say it like at some point, like that's just not reaching the number of people that it can when you go on a podcast with Chris. Right. And so I think those things are a little performative, right? Like you're doing, you're doing it because you exactly, as I said, like, we're going to talk about this. It's going to be national. Then maybe people will shut up about it. I think that what they're, what they're learning now is that like, you can say no to a rumor as many times as you want. People are just going to ultimately believe what they want to believe. Yeah. And so at, at this point, I think that, I don't know that I think anything new about the Rudy and Donovan relationship, I guess is the way that I could say it. Like, I do not believe that they're, they're friends, that they're like, you know, sending Valentines to each other or anything like. But they eat lunch I, together sometimes. They do eat together sometimes, <laughs> as people who are in the, the same building do. Uh, <laughs> what a wild quote that was. <laughs> um, I I think, to me, and from the conversations I've had, the interesting aspect of where they stand and how happy Donovan is in Utah. And let's just let's just peel back the layer here. I mean, the Knicks are operated by two former CAA, you know, operatives, for lack of a better word, Leon Rose and William Wesley. And Donovan Mitchell is from New York. The Knicks have made it very clear behind the scenes that they would like Donovan to play there. The Knicks had not a great season after coming out and exceeding all expectations the year before, getting the four seed, Tom Timmons coach of the year, Julius Randle gets his big extension. Had pretty much a season from hell well, by, you know, all things considered. And, I mean, there's questions for Thibodeau's job, CAA connections. Um, the, the pressure will ultimately get back to Leon as well, as long as this continues. And... There's plenty of buzz in the NBA air, let's say, that there are people with CAA ties who would very much like Donovan to be in New York very soon. And oh, so, I mean, it's, it's not just CAA. Like, the connections go farther than that. Like, break them down. Johnny Bryant was, I mean, basically Donovan considers him family and he's on the coaching staff, right? Yeah. Well, he did just leave to go to uh, Louisville, but that is a massive piece of it for a while. Yes. Right. Walt Perrin, who basically discovered Donovan Mitchell for, for, I mean, lack of a better way of saying discover, like obviously we knew who he was at Louisville, but uh, I mean, 
the fact that Johnny Bryant went to Louisville and like the, the connection still stands, I would say. And yes. I mean, I think that there are, there are connections that are deeper than all of that. That being said, you could probably find, we could pick out any player right now and be able to like, you know, six degrees of separation, connect them to multiple teams. If we really wanted yeah, to like ten, sure. tinfoil had it right. Like we could we, do that. With a lot of players. To Indiana with Rick Carlisle. Like, right. You can exactly. Do that immediately. I just but, think that this is, I mean, this is one that just keeps being discussed as something that is being discussed by people with vested interests of getting Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks who are close to the situation, but are not members of the New York Knicks. And right. that is, I think, what, like, I, I say this all to say, like, to go on a podcast and say, like, oh, we need to shut these rumors down. Like, I'm happy here. I'm happy with Rudy. That a lot of those rumors are stemming from his own type of affiliated figures, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I always tell people, like, where there's smoke, there's fire, but fire's can be put out if people want them to, right? Yeah. And so, like, do I believe that there's, like, some weight and some meat to a lot of, like, these rumors about, you know, Donovan wanting to go to a bigger market, Donovan wanting to get to New York, Quinn Snyder maybe wanting to coach somewhere else? Like, sure, I believe that there's meat to it, but it's all contingent, I still think, on what happens this year. Like, I think that if if Donovan is given like a glimpse at winning, like if they make it to the Western conference finals, is he going to want to be on that next team? Like the Knicks kind of famously aren't good at building teams. Right. <laughs> and so they like, have not been. They have what not are they going to, what are they going to do around Donovan Mitchell? That's going to make that team a possible Eastern conference contender, like that could take them to the Eastern conference finals. Right. Like, are they going to bring Donovan Mitchell to New York and then all of a sudden they're ready to compete against the Bucks and the Nets or the Heat? Like, I I don't think so. Well, the other thing is the Jazz have done literally everything they could in within the CBA and probably more about it. Not, 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 not uh, uh, lobbying accusations being that every franchise does these certain under-the-table uh, things with their star players and others. Um, but they've hired a ton of staffers to support him. Um, they have done things like trade for Eric Pascal, his childhood best friend. They have hosted training camp in Las Vegas because Donovan wants to have training camp in Las Vegas. They're doing what their part to make him, not make him, but to keep him happy and to hope that stays the case for a long time. Yeah, and I think those are the right moves, right? Like, if you're the Jazz and, you know, Donovan's best friend is available, like, that that was a smart move, right? It's a smart move and a, and a low-risk, low-cost move to bring in. It did fit the whole of the uh, perimeter defense, in theory, that they've been lacking. Right. Well, I mean, and so, I don't know. I, there's so much of me that feels annoyed by things like this purely because like I I know that it's like about winning and like these guys are like 
arc we use these cliches like oh the you know professional athletes they have like egos and their competitive spirit like they they just want to win like that's what's on the mind but it's like all of that aside and like i don't really care about any of that these are actually adults like these are grown men who like should be able to put like any quibble to the side and just like do their job right and so like the idea that maybe donovan and rudy not liking each other would be a reason to like break up something and send him to a situation where like maybe he can be a little bit closer home like the guy can afford to like write on private jets like it's not hard to get home if you want to see people and so like That's part of my, like, that's, that's kind of where I land on this is like, you know what, if you don't like it and you're going to give up, then like, fine, give up. But if you are going to act like an adult and act like nothing's wrong, then like really make it so that nothing's wrong. Like you have the power to do that. The hooter for Sarah Todd says Donovan Mitchell is immature and needs to grow up. <laughs> I think that about a lot of basketball players. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'm sure like I'm fine being on record and being like there have been times where I thought that Donovan has been immature and I also I also think that he has like uh like a hot temper and that it takes him a minute to cool down and so like I would hate for him to make like a quick decision maybe like the day after the playoffs if the Jazz lose I feel like I'm out get me yeah that because that feels like that would be a Donovan thing to do because he does that kind of stuff. Like Donovan, your ankles hurt. You can't play in game one of this series. Well, then he like fires off on social media, and then like all of a sudden, when the next season starts, they the fire the trainer, right? And then and like clearly Donovan was hurt and should not have been playing because he was like limp, literally limping in games, and. I mean, you look at the COVID thing where it's like, you know, he immediately gets really pissed off at Rudy Gobert for, and it's like, he created a situation where it seemed like it was like, oh, Rudy gave me COVID. Well, it's like everything that we know about this, like, it's crazy that just you two got it. Like it should have been everyone on the team at that point. Like that was just an incredible coincidence. Also from what we know about like the contact tracing back then and everything, like we don't know who gave it to who in the first place anyways. Yeah. And so, like, just to get really upset really quick about things and then to, like, later cool down and be like, no, we've cleared the air. It's fine. Like, that that's kind of Donovan's M.O. If I recall correctly, you were on the ground that night when that happened and had to be kind of in a pseudo-quarantine waiting for test results, right? Yes. Can you kind of... Is it is it too traumatic to relive that experience? Or can you can you kind of shed some light on what that was like? That must have been wild. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like it was both like very organized, but also very disorganized. Like, uh, I mean, you you talked about this a little bit earlier. Like that feeling is like when you. That's what I felt when you're sitting in an arena and like you know that something's wrong, and then the PA announcer comes on and says like you're all safe, but we need you to evacuate the building. It's like, okay, well, immediately 20,000 people don't feel safe then, right? Like, that's that's the perfect way to make everyone feel not safe. Yeah. And, then to, and then to know that, like, we have to, like, run down towards the fire as reporters because that's the job. And then, you know, sitting in the bowels of an arena for six hours wondering, because, like, at that time, 
what we knew about COVID was just that people were dying. That's all we knew. Like there, the most recent thing right before that had been like that nursing home in Seattle where it just like killed everyone. And so all we knew was that like people were dying, especially people that were like, uh, like 65 and older. It was like the, the messaging was like, you get it, you die. And so I'm like, my mom was supposed to fly to Utah like the next day to come stay with me for a couple of days. And I like call her and I'm like, I'm canceling your flight. I don't want to kill you. And I'm like crying on the phone with my mom. And she's like, are you safe? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and, wow. and then wondering whether or not like how we were going to get home. Like once, once the league told us to like stay in place and that like we were going to be tested, we've got like a CDC guy that comes out and is talking to us with one of the Oklahoma department of health, a spokesperson or whatever he's talking to us and they're like okay if you've been in contact with anybody that's you know the positive case at the time was really rather like the positive case for longer than 10 minutes within six feet they're saying the positive case the positive case right and like they're not saying rudy they're just saying like a confirmed case or a confirmed positive case did you know at the time it was rudy yeah and and so they're they're telling so long ago they're telling us like they're just describing the job of a reporter. Are you standing within six feet of someone talking to them for more than five minutes? Yes. Like that's the job. And, and so we, you know, we're in the locker room with the players getting tested and like the the people who come in from the outside to test us are like in like what looks like full hazmat suits and masks and visors and everything. And it's like, should I be dressed like that? (laughs) And, and then to, you know, they tell us that like, we're not allowed to fly commercially and like, we don't know how we're going to get home. And so we end up getting on the chartered flight with the jazz the next day. Um, minus Rudy and Donovan, because they had to go on like a medical flight. Um, and like the jazz missed their charter like time that night because they had a time they were going to leave and they didn't. And so then they got to, you know, they can find another charter time, but you got to find then a, like a pilot and a crew who are, who are willing to take a plane full of people who might or might not be COVID positive to Utah from Oklahoma. And so like then finding a pilot who's willing to do that. And so we finally get home at that point. It's like, I haven't slept all night. I've done like four radio spots. I wrote multiple stories and then I've told like, don't leave your apartment for two weeks and it was just like, it was a very surreal experience because, you know, as a reporter, you never want to be a part of the story. That's never a goal. Yeah. But when it comes to something like this, where like you're, you're scared for your actual well-being, uh, I, I, I didn't really care if I was part of the story. I just cared about getting out of there. Yeah. What, um, obviously glad, glad it all worked out and you're, uh, <laughs> yeah. chilling today. Um, what do you remember the um, the charter was like? Because it's honestly, I've been to a lot of backroom things in my NBA days. Being on the team charter is one that I've I've wanted to see and witness, and I have not gotten there. What what's, what is that mantle like? Well, I don't think that I got the actual picture of what that's like because, I mean, like on any normal like team charter, you know, you've got guys that are like you know some some are sleeping, some are playing cards. Some are watching movies, like some guys are just talking, some are playing music. Like you've kind of got people just hanging out, right? And 
on this particular one, like, you know, we take the team bus from the hotel over to the airport and then take the bus, get off the bus and then get on the plane. And everyone was quiet. Like no one's talking. Everyone's tired because barely anyone got any sleep. Some, some, some of the guys didn't sleep at all like me. And so like, it was kind of just miserable. Like there, there wasn't any like card games being played or like laughs being had. It was just everyone really silent and like not just wanting to get home. And then, and then we land and we're met by the, we go into this airplane hangar and we're, we're met by one of the Utah state epidemiologists and like the state healthcare department who then all like give us instructions and information on like how long we need to quarantine and, like it it wasn't like I was on a flight what's that good thing you canceled your mom's flight yeah uh and like it's just it was just really weird because it wasn't like I was on a charter with a bunch of NBA players it was like I was on like a very tired plane ride home and we were all we were all just sitting in this room with the state epidemiologist like raising our hand and asking questions like as peers rather than like reporter and team. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for sharing your harrowing story. Um, <laughs> I don't say that lightly. I'm sure that was a really freaky experience and um, it is uh, at least somewhat, I mean, it's, it has definitely struck me watching I mean, all four games last night, seeing all the maskless crowds and the semi normalcy. It's been kind of, uh, nice. I am a little afraid of uh, where things go, but I was reading something in the Times saying that we're kind of in like, are either in or approaching epidemic world, um, which has kind of been the goal all along. So hopefully uh, the the corner is turned in some capacity, like the Jazz are hoping to do in the playoffs. See that segue? <laughs> oh man, it was um, really good. <laughs> um. I've asked you a bunch of questions for almost an hour now. Um, that's what I like to do at the at the end of the show. If, you don't have to if you don't want to, but if, do you have any do you have any questions that you like to ask me? Um, first, I mean, I want to shout out Jay on Twitter. Uh, he uh, responded to us, and rightly so. Kenny Payne is the coach that is at Louisville. Johnny Bryant is still with the Knicks. Correct. 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 That was a gaff by me. That was a very gaff. bad gaff by me. Yeah. Um, Kenny Payne's Kentucky, Johnny Bryant's Louisville. I always confuse Louisville and Kentucky people because they're always right down the road. Just like I mix up UNC and Duke people too. Apologies to Kenny Payne and Johnny Bryant. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, we're sorry. Um, Jake, what are, where are you going to be during the playoffs? So I'm here in Brooklyn. Um, I was supposed to go to the um, playing game on Tuesday, and then with the subway incident that occurred tragically, um, I decided not to take the subway that day. Um, yeah. So I will hopefully be at games three and four in Brooklyn next week. I plan to do that. Um, if the Sixers do, I was really annoyed that Brooklyn and Boston got matched up together. Because Brooklyn, Boston, and Philly, I mean, obviously Brooklyn in my backyard, Boston and Philly are pretty quick train rides away. Like, those are my areas I could have gone to a quick 
game and like done a gone, done a day trip. You know what I mean? Right. So the fact that um, now all three of them could theoretically be available in the second round, devastating. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> like, I'll probably. I went to school in Boston. I got a bunch of friends up there. I'll probably jump up to Boston if they are to advance in the second round. Um, if Brooklyn wins, that'll be good for me to see some games. I'll definitely go down to Philly if they I, – I think the Toronto-Philly series could be heading for a game seven, and, like, I'd love to check that out. Other than that, I don't really have too many plans to travel for the Combine. Um, it's been a wild year, and there's some other non-NBA projects I'm trying to finish up that I've been struggling with, to be honest, because um, the NBA stuff is just so prevalent. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of my – maybe I'll make a West Coast trip at some point, but I doubt it. I really doubt it. Um, it's going to be it's gonna be interesting. You got, you got picks for who you think are coming out of each side? I mean, it'd be tough. I'm not really in the prediction game, but oh yeah, uh, it'd be tough to it'd be tough to pick against Phoenix in the West. Yeah, they've just been like, no offense to the Jazz. Um, no, no offense taken. <laughs> the uh, the Suns have been the best team in the league regular season wise, wire to wire, since last season, um, and they um, obviously were too win shy of, of the final of, of winning it all last year and just what they've done this year. Everyone's taken a pretty big step forward. Um, in the East, I think it's going to be one of Miami, Milwaukee, and, and uh, Boston. I really do think the Celtics, especially if they get Robert Williams back, but I was a big Celtics doubter for sure. Um, and I really thought that we were trending in a direction of them kind of flaming out and all these questions that we were asking about Utah kind of being about Boston and Rudy and uh, Tatum and Brown. And they kind of figure out a way to make those guys mesh. Their defense is the best in the league. If Williams can come back, which seems to be the case, like they've got to get a shot at anyone, but the Bucks are the champs and the heat were there a year ago. So um, honestly, if it's any team outside those three, I'd be pretty surprised. Like I, do, I'm, I am expecting Philly to have a tough time with Toronto and, then moving forward, um, the Nets are going to have a long way to go, as much as talent as they have with or without Ben Simmons. Um, and I think everyone else is, you know, just a, a playoff team, right? Yeah, I'm always I'm always rooting for an upset because I I just I like. I like parody and I like, uh, I guess, broken hearts. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's fun to root for underdog. Yeah, and so I just I'm hoping that we get like whether on either side of the bracket just at least one like really good upset. So that's that's where my rooting interest is. There you go. Um, well, Sarah, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. I know it's not easy to give an hour of your time for free, so thank you so much. Um, I wish you safe travels heading back and forth from Dallas and Salt Lake. Um, that series is probably the one I'm most excited for in the first round um, just based off of uh, the stakes with the Jazz and Luka being Luka. Um, so I hope Luka can come back healthy soon. Um, and we look forward to reading all your work at the Desert News here. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm, sur- I'm sure that we'll, we'll talk soon. I'm sure I'll bump into you in a random New Orleans bar again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
All right. Later, Sarah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday doing something with Ethan Strauss. Not 100% sure on the details yet. Um, Please subscribe to the show. That way you got updates on when we're coming up. And uh, you can follow me here as well. Thanks, as always. Take care.